Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. All right. Well, good morning again. I, I really believe that, I, I mean, the most important thing we could have done, we've already done this, not the journey thing, but uh, just just the uh, praying together and seeking God and worshiping him and coming to the throne for what he's doing in our, in our world and our country right now. Um, as Blake was kind of identifying, we, we were taking three weeks here, last week, this week, and then next week, and we're talking about the relationship between uh, our finances and the connection that has to our relationship with God. And so actually, it's been a couple of years since we've done this, since we, we've had this kind of a conversation, but it's, it's so important for us as we look at our lives and our relationship with God to keep coming back. So if you were here uh, last week, we talked about, uh, David was here and he talked about how uh, do we find security in our lives? What is, where does our security come from? Is it from our finances or is it from our relationship with God? And so this week, we're going to step into the, the question, how would your life change if your financial priorities changed? Talking about our financial priorities today, how would your life change today if your financial priorities changed? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said one of the most profound things in the entire scriptures about uh, our, our relationship with our money. And what he said was, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so the issue is not that Jesus wants our money. He doesn't want our money. The issue is that Jesus wants our hearts. But for Jesus, our hearts and our money are intimately connected. And so if we're going to talk about our hearts being fully devoted to God, at some point we have to talk about our finances. And specifically, we have to talk about our financial priorities. Where, where are we placing our priorities in our lives when it comes to our finances? And so this is Proverbs 3, 9. There's so many verses like this that, that say similar things in the scriptures. But it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, here's what I believe. If you're newer to church or newer to the Bible, there's a word right here, first fruits, that you maybe are unfamiliar with. I remember when that word was unfamiliar to me. I didn't know what it was or what it meant. And so I want to take a moment to just talk about uh, this word, first fruits, uh, that refers to a practice of the people of God all throughout the scriptures where what they would do is they would take the first 10% of their crops and they would harvest it. So if you had a field, they would, you were, literally you would harvest the first 10% of your crop and then immediately you would take it and you would give it to God. You would give it back to him. It, it was a, a way of putting God first and it was a move of faith to believe that then he would allow you to bring in the other 90% of the crops that weather or disease or whatever would not stop the rest of the crop from coming in. So that's, that, that's the first fruits. It's that first 10% of the crop that would be harvested and given to God in faith, move of faith, believing that the rest of the 90% would then be gathered and, and, and would come in. So this, this practice of putting God first uh, and giving him first priority in financial provision, you see this all throughout the scriptures. In fact, this idea of the first fruits offering first appears early, early in the Bible in the story of Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel were the first two brothers in the first family that ever existed. 
And if you know the story, you know, Abel brought a first fruit offering to God that was pleasing to God. Cain did not bring an offering that was pleasing to God. And that's where all the conflict was between them that led to the very first murder that you find in scripture. From there, you find it over and over again, this idea of the first fruits offering all through uh, the Exodus story, all through the story of God's people in the Old Testament, into the promised land. And then into the New Testament, Jesus affirms tithing in Matthew 23. And then in the New Testament, uh, as you get in, into the story of the early church, tithing is assumed, but then you find statements like uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, where Paul actually says to the church in Corinth, he says to excel in the grace of giving. So he's literally saying, hey, go beyond, excel in, in the grace of, of giving and in being more and more and more generous. So that's what we're exploring today is uh, what would it look like for us to actually put God first in our finances and, and to begin this practice of first fruits offering. Oftentimes what you see it talked about in the scriptures is the word tithe. And tithe is kind of a churchy word too. The word tithe just means 10%. So it, whenever you see that, it's referring to the first fruit offering, the first 10% of our income. Now here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, every single time I've, I've talked about this so many times over the years that I've been here at Frontline, every single time I talk about this, I have the same conversation on Monday with a bunch of you. Okay, literally. So here's what I thought I would do. I'm just going to put the conversation I already have on the screen. I'm going to save you the email. Okay. I'm going to save me also having to go back and forth with you instead of like me, like saying, just going tomorrow and answering one at a time, all these, I'm just going to put it up here and we'll just talk about it right here. Is that Okay. Okay, awesome. So this is the conversation I have every single time, some version of this. Uh, what people say is, well, you know, I would love to tithe. I would love to give 10% of what God trusts me with, but there's just not enough left over at the end of the month after I make all the payments and all the bills. By the way, I've said this, this there was a time in my life I remember saying that these exact words. Like, I would love to tithe. I would love to offer a first fruits offering. I, love it. I just don't have enough left over after I've paid, you know, payments, bills. Those things got to be taken care of. Another kind of version of this is uh, I hear people say it broke again. Well, whatever it is for you, maybe it's a car, maybe it's the furnace, maybe it's some piece of technology, the internet, whatever. It broke again and I don't have the money to fix it and I'm freaking out about it. So there just isn't enough left over after I spent everything on it. And we've all had those moments, right? Where everything breaks at once. It's, well, I wish I could. Just don't have enough left over. The, 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 the thing I want you to focus on here is this word left over, whenever we talk about this. So we're talking about first fruits offering and then we're, we're using words like leftovers. So just to be clear, to define leftovers, that's what you put in a Tupperware container and put in your refrigerator after everyone's eaten what they wanted of the meal, correct? That's what leftovers are, <laughs> okay? Well, we're not talking about leftovers. What we're talking about here, when we, when we talk about the first fruits, is we're talking about the first 10%. Now, just to define it, if you want to go ahead to that next slide, just to specifically define, what do we mean when we're talking about tithing? Tithing is the discipline, okay, so it's not something we do once, it's a discipline, something we do regularly, of returning the first 10% of my income back to God. That's what tithing, that's what first fruits giving is. Now, that's so important because the first 10% is what we're talking about. And why that's important is because if God is first in my life, I always have the first 10% right? I, I never don't have the first 10%. So the first 10% is always there. If God is first in my life, he gets that. And then the 90%, that's what's left over. That's the leftover 
for me to live on, for me to, to deal with and to pay bills and everything on. So that's what we're talking about. So I want to look at what's the place that we are giving to God in our finances. Does God have first priority? Does he have the first 10%? Does he have the leftovers? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe it's some kind of version in between of that. And here's what I'll do. I'll I'll share uh, our story. My wife, Carrie, and I, and our story. And I've I've shared this before, but it's our story. And it's um, tithing played an incredibly significant and impactful part of our marriage. And so... um, uh, Carrie, my wife, was raised in a home where tithing was taught. They they grew up giving first fruits offering, even from the time they were kid with kids with their allowances and everything that was brought into their life. In my home, that was not like a, a regular practice until I was an adult. I was actually pretty well into my adult years as a college student before I began to start tithing. So when Carrie and I got married, that was still very new to me. And hey, hey, we're just going to do this. This is going to be a practice in our lives. But what happened was uh, the most financially insecure time of our life took place actually when we moved here to be part of Frontline. So in 2001, I had a a pretty good paying job as a high school youth pastor at at a large church in Roanoke, Virginia. But I heard about this church Frontline that had been planted. It was a year old at the time. And I, we just, Carrie and I both just felt God calling us to uproot and to move. We had just had our first baby. Carrie was a new mom. Uh, our, our son, Alan, had just been born. And we took this huge faith step to move our, our family here to Grand Rapids. And when we moved here to start this job um, here at Frontline, there were two things that Tim Roselle, who's still a part of our church, who was the, uh, the, the finance director at the time, two things he told me. He said, first of all, you need to understand we can only pay you for three months. Literally, thanks for moving your family across the country. Thanks for taking this faith step. Excited to have you here. Three months and, and the money runs out. Either the church has to grow and, and something has to happen to support you or you're going to have to get another job, a second job, or you're going to have to do something. And the other thing he told me was, we're going to pay you less than what you were making at, at the other church. So this wasn't an upward move for me. This was a downward move. To make matters worse, we moved here in 2011, uh, 2001, sorry, right before 9-11 happened. And we, as a young couple, we had saved up money and we had bought kind of like our dream home in Virginia. In fact, Carrie and I still talk about this. I'm like, oh man, I missed that house. That was an amazing house. But because we moved and then 9-11 happened and the, you know, the economy kind of went upside down for a little while, we actually, there were 10 months that went by where we couldn't, before our house finally sold. So there were 10 months where we were making a mortgage payment. And then here in Grand Rapids, we were making a rent payment at York Creek Apartments where we moved in and where we lived with our, with our newborn. It was by far the most financially insecure time of our lives. It was so clear. There was not, the amount of money that I had was nowhere near the amount of money that needed to go out every, every month with payments. We were going backwards fast. I've, I've just so many memories of, of that time. Uh, I remember literally when we moved here, the people from the church were so nice. They showed up at York Creek Apartments. They helped us move all our stuff into the apartment. And then I have this memory of all of them, you know, so nicely they were there that when they leave and they shut the door, I just remember Carrie just breaking down crying. It was just like so hard. Like really, we left our house and we came here. That does something to you as a husband. I, I just remember how hard that time was for us. And so I, there was a conversation that we had during that season of life, right at the beginning of our time here at Frontline. And I would tell you it was a defining moment for our family. It was also a defining moment for what God has done in, in just in our ministry and in our lives. 
it was a, it was a major defining moment for us. And so here, here's what happened. I had this conversation with Carrie. It was me that, that started it. And I just said, Carrie, listen, I just don't think we can afford to tithe right now. Like, I know that's been a thing in our marriage. I know that's something we've done, but we, we clearly, we don't have enough money. I, I, not, I'm not saying forever. I'm not saying that we never come back to it. Absolutely, I wanna make sure that's something we do and we come back to it. But just for this season, when, when we just don't have the money, I just don't think we can afford to tithe right now. And her response to me in that moment was a defining moment in our marriage and in our lives. She literally said, Brian, we can't afford to tithe right now. She said, I don't think we can afford not to tithe right now. Like we need God in this with us. Are you kidding me? We can't afford not to have him first in our lives right now. And that moment, as hard as it was, it not only, you know, transformed just kind of the way we were thinking about that, but I would tell you, not only did we continue to tithe during those entire 10 months until our house sold, but we also paid every single bill we had. I don't even know how. I, I'm, I'm totally serious about this. I don't know where the money came from. Weird stuff happened. People who still to this day, I don't know, helped us out. There was just crazy stuff. We weren't talking about it. We didn't advertise it. God just provided. But here's the thing, way more important than, you know, we didn't go hungry and we had to eat, you know, tuna out of a can. By the way, I still eat tuna out of a can since that time in my life because I just like it. But way more than just, hey, you know, God provided for us and we didn't go hungry and, and God paid all our bills. The most important thing about that is that for Carrie and I, our faith grew as a married couple during that time, that early season in our life, like no other time ever in our lives. Our faith, our dependence on God together as a married couple, that foundation for our family, like no other time in our lives got settled and it has just been built on. We've had other times where, you know, money was tight, other times where we had questions, even health challenges, things, how are we gonna pay for this? But that season of our lives, it built something in our faith and in our family. And that's why I'm so passionate about talking about this. It's why it matters to me that we come back to this and discuss this topic again, because I think God wants to do that in our lives. He wants to do that for us. He wants to do that in us. And he wants us to have zero gods before him. That's one of our five zeros here that we talk about is zero gods before God. And it's so important that we talk about this because the, as Westerners, and I would say as Americans in particular, there is no bigger competition for our heart. There is no bigger God in our lives than our, our finances, our money. It's just like hardwired into us from the time that we're born. And, and God wants us to come to this place where he is the one. Tithing is a spiritual practice that basically breaks our dependency on the God of money and puts our faith and our trust in God. And he can build our lives on that when we put him in that position. So what I wanna do here is I, in the next few moments, I just wanna look at a passage of scripture uh, in the book of Malachi. Malachi was one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And Malachi is speaking to the people of Israel during a time in Israel's history where they just couldn't afford to tithe. They were definitely financially insecure and they, there just wasn't enough left over to, to be able to tithe and, and to practice this. And so these are, um, these are uh, the words of Malachi 3 verse 7. So it says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. This is God speaking to his people. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? 
yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I remember when I first encountered this passage of scripture in my life, I remember it literally, it comes across to you like, like, like almost like a punch in the gut. I mean, it's offensive. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna take a, a closer look at some of the language that we just read in that passage of scripture and just kind of talk about what's underneath that language and, and explore why is that so offensive to us? Me read that as an American and as a Westerner, if you're not a little bit put off by it, I, I kind of question if you're really paying attention. I mean, it's, it's just kind of hard to read. So let's look at some of the language of this and, and why it, it comes across as offensive to us. First of all, because this language tells us something about our relationship with God. It tells us something about the kind of, of relationship we have with him. It talks about returning and robbing. You catch that? Literally, God says to his people, return the first 10%, the first fruit, the tithe to me. And if you don't, you're robbing me. Return that to me. And if you're not, God says, you're, you're robbing me. That's offensive, isn't it? And the reason that's offensive is because the assumption underneath it is it's not mine. It belongs to God. God literally thinks it's his. We don't think that way about our money, do we? That's exactly how we think it. We think it's my money. It's our money. That's how we think of our money. But the assumption underneath the language that's being used here is we've been entrusted. Everything that we have, all our wealth, we're stewards. We've been entrusted with it. It's, it all belongs to God and we, we just have been given it for a period of time. And so our job is to be faithful by returning the first 10% back to God and trusting him by, by putting him first in our lives. Uh, to illustrate this a little bit, um, I've got 10 $1 bills here. They're kind of sticking together a little bit, but um, I've got my 10 $1 bills here. If I were to walk up to you right now and hand you 10 and say, hey, here you go. I want you to have this. Here, here's 10 $1 bills. You're going to be grateful, right? You're going to be like, wow, that's awesome. I, I, I didn't have $10. Now I have $10. That's great. You're going to be grateful for it. And if I say, oh, wait, hang on a second. I, I just remembered. Uh, can you give me one of those dollars back? You're, you're probably going to say, well, yeah, sure. Here you go. It's not going to be a big deal for you to hand over $1 because you felt like you were given it. It wasn't yours to begin with. I gave it to you. Oh yeah, sure. You're not going to be offended at all if I say, can I have $1 of that back? You still got $9. But if I were to walk up to you and I were to just say, hey, give me a dollar right now. You owe me. Give, give me a dollar. And I were to just keep going and keep going on that. You'd eventually punch me, wouldn't you? It would be understandably offensive if I did that because you would feel rightfully that that's not my money. I have no right to it. That's your money. Do you, do you see the correlation here? It, the only way these words feel offensive to us, the whole idea of returning and robbing, is if we think that it's all our money. It's just mine. And we don't think God played a part at all. And the assumption in scripture, the relationship that we have is that God's the one who owns it all. And he's, he entrusts it to us. 
But there's something else, another word that's just incredible and we need to talk about it. It's this word blessing. You see that word again and again in that passage we just read. And this is so important. We do not talk about this enough in church. What God is saying to his people right here is not, hey, you better return the tithe to me. You better return the first fruit offering. If you don't, I'm gonna punish you. I'm gonna make my life miserable for you if you don't tithe. And that's not what God says. Literally, what he says is, I'm inviting you to tithe, to, to give a first fruits offering because I wanna bless you. I, 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 want, I don't want you to miss out on the blessing. That's the language that's used. It's not punitive language. You're gonna get punished. It's, it's not about what God wants from you. So much of the time, you know, when we talk about money in church, that's the message that somehow people walk away with is, God wants my money. God wants something from me. Can I just tell you, God doesn't need your money. He, he's wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations. The God I serve isn't short of cash, as Bono said. It's not about what he wants from you. It's about what he wants for you. God wants something for you. He says, he literally invites, he says, you get to choose what kind of relationship you have with me. I can be in this battle with you or not. It's about the blessing he wants to give us. It's about the way he wants to enter into that. It's not a transactional thing. If I give, then you know, God's gonna do this. It's about putting him first in our lives and taking that faith step to say, I trust you with whatever's coming. I know you've got it. You're the one who takes care of my burden. You're the one who takes care of my needs. You're the one who's responsible now, God, because I'm entrusting my life to you. You're putting you first. It's about blessing. That's what it's about. And then the third piece of language here that's so interesting in this passage is the words test me. Uh, literally, it's the only place in all of scripture that we're given permission and even asked to test God. Let me read it to you again. Verse 10, God says, test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. So, so what this is literally saying is, is saying God, basically he, he entrusts us with money in order to test us. It's, will you be faithful to me? Will you return that first fruits offering? But then what he does, if you caught it there in the language, is he literally says, you can put me to the test. You can test me. To, and, and when you give that first fruit offering, when you're faithful to do that, you're, you can test me to see if I'm gonna be faithful to what I said I'm gonna do. And what's really significant about that, if you, if you pull back and look at the entirety of scripture, is that the number 10 all the way through scripture is a number that's symbolic of testing. I mean, you don't realize this. Numbers are really significant. Um, in fact, the gospel writers in the New Testament, they were, they were uh, obsessed with numerology. They were obsessed with numbers. Every time you see a number, when the gospel writers kind of give you a number in the, in the stories, in the gospels, it's because they're trying to tell you something. There's always symbolic meaning connected to numbers. And so in the Bible, the number 10 is always symbolic. It's always a number for testing. That's what you see over and over and over again in scripture. So I wanna give you some examples just to, just to prove what I'm talking about. So let's do it this way. I'm gonna ask you a series of questions and I want you to answer out loud to me if you're here in the room. You can do this online too, if, if you're watching. Um, but maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe you're new to church, and, but you still wanna participate. I'm gonna give you a little hint. The answer is 10, okay? Every single one of these questions, the answer is 10. Okay, so look at, look at this. How many commandments did God give Moses? 10 commandments, that's right. God was literally testing, he said he gave him 10 commandments to test whether they were gonna be obedient and serve him, right? It's a number for testing. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart in the Exodus story? 
10, right? There were 10 plagues, 10 episodes where God is testing Pharaoh's heart. That's what he's doing. Uh, How many virgins in Jesus' parable were tested to see if they were prepared or unprepared? 10. 10. That's right. Jesus chose that story when he told it to the number 10 because it's a story about testing. Are they prepared or they unprepared? Uh, In Revelation 2.10, how many days of testing does it say there's going to be? Yeah, 10 days of testing. And then the last one, how many disciples did Jesus choose? No, there were 12. 12 disciples. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I was testing you just to see if you knew. (laughs) No, that's symbolic of something else, actually. Uh, No, 10. Whenever you see the number 10 in the Bible, it's it's always connected in a story about testing. Somebody's being, whenever you see 10, somebody's getting tested. That's what's happening. And so what's amazing about this idea is God is literally saying, I'm entrusting you with wealth. I'm testing you with that first fruit offering. Will you return that first 10%? But then what he's literally saying is, you can put me to the test. You can put me to the test. Am I going to be faithful to what I said I'm going to do? And really, that, that is actually the heart uh, behind this 90-day tithing challenge thing that Blake was just talking about. And it's this card that's on your uh, chair. Last week, we, we kind of introduced this. But literally, the heart behind it is just to say, test it. Try it out. Put God first for 90 days and see what happens. Here's the thing. We don't want anything from you. That's not what this is about. In fact, we're not even collecting these. You can put your name on the other side. And, and it's, just, it's more for you to just kind of document when you took this step. We're not going to keep track of it or or any of that kind of stuff. That's not the point of this. In fact, the only thing we're asking you to do, if you do take this tithing challenge for the next 90 days, is uh, we'd love to hear your stories. Um, Again, just like we were doing earlier, like it's so valuable to just give testimony as God is changing people's lives. I think that's our job as the church to be faithful with that. And so whatever God does in your life over these next 90 days, will you just click that link on there and just share your story? Just give testimony of what he does. Because we want to be faithful with that. We want to keep track of that and the way that God's moving. Over the years, as people have, ta- have done this, if they, as they've taken a step like this in their lives, it's amazing some of the, the stories that have, that have come through of just the way God has provided. It's not, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's not financial. Sometimes it's just like answers to long-awaited prayers. God moving unexpectedly in ways that he wouldn't have if, unless we put him first in our lives and make this faith move to do it. So that's all we want from you is just stories, please. That's what we need more and more of right now in the day we're living in. Now, um, I would be totally remiss if I ended the sermon here, okay? Because what's amazing is you trace this idea of tithing, of the first fruit offering all the way through scripture. As you get into the New Testament, there's another layer to this whole idea of first fruit tithing and 10% giving that is just so incredibly beautiful when you get to the gospel message. Did you know that God himself actually tithes? It's part of the salvation narrative. It's part of the gospel story. God himself offered a tithe. He offered a first fruit offering. And really, Jesus is God's first fruit offering. If you understand how, the, how he was the fulfillment of that all the way through the New Testament. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 15, the writer Paul is talking about the resurrection. And this is, this is what he says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, 
so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Do you understand the power of, of what Paul's saying there? He's literally saying that when Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus was God's first fruit offering, his first 10% of someone being returned back to life again, of being returned to eternal life. And we, those of us throughout the centuries who have put our hope and our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus, we're the 90%. We're the rest of the harvest. We're the other 90% that are gonna be raised to eternal life. who are gonna experience this. That's what he's saying. That basically God secured our eternity, our future, by Jesus being that first free offering on our behalf. And when we put our faith and our trust, we're the 90%. I gotta tell you, not this past week, the week before, I did two funerals. Two funerals, two incredible godly men who've been a part of this church in different ways over the years. Passages like this, I cling to in weeks like that. They're so meaningful to me. You, you, can, you can grab hold of your money and your wealth and you can hang on to that and you can make that your priority all your life. You know, you're gonna get to the end of your life. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching online, we will all leave the exact same amount of money behind when we die. All of it. All of it. we have this, this hope that's an anchor for our soul. Jesus was God's first fruit offering. That when we, when we make him first in our lives, when we cling to him, when we make him the center of everything, our lives are found in him. And we are the harvest. We're the 90%. That's real hope. And so maybe you're kind of wondering, like, well, how do I get there? How do I actually, you know, take this step? Maybe you're just in a place where you're just like, I don't even know how to begin. And so next week, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we wrap up this series. But uh, really, if I could just say this one thought as we close today, it's really not about managing your money. It's about managing yourself. It all starts with your heart. It all starts with your priority, which is where God wants to meet us. Um, you know, most of us, a lot of us, the only thing we're managing is how much debt our money can afford us. That's the American dream, right? So it really is about managing ourselves, our own hearts. Where do we begin with this? God, are you first? You're going to have first place in my heart or in my life. That's what he's inviting us into. So would you bow and pray with me? So God, as we close today, we just acknowledge you are worthy of it all. You are... uh, the only one who gets to make the claim on our entire lives. You created us. You've provided for us. And yet, God, there is so much competition. Money is, is the number one competition for our hearts. And, and God, we just recognize, even from your word, that afterthought, leftover generosity doesn't transform our hearts. It just doesn't. Um, first fruit, putting you first, priority in our lives. That's, that's what transforms our hearts. So God, would you do that? We just settle that issue with you right now. We put you first. We say, God, we want you to be Lord over all in our lives and have that first place. Show us how to do that, God. Show us how to be obedient in that. We long to experience the blessing that you have for us in our lives as we put you first. We ask this in Jesus' name.
We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.